from Manhattan Associates, this is Nucleus of Innovation, the retail and supply chain podcast where we tackle some of the most important topics in the industry and learn how leaders are managing their supply chain challenges every day. I'm your host, Chris Shaw. I'd like to give a quick reminder to all our listeners that we're adjusting our podcast a bit for the next few weeks as we focus on the impacts and the outcomes of COVID-19 and what that will mean for manufacturers, distributors, and retailers in both the near and long term. So you'll be getting a short form of our podcast, but the plan is to do a whole lot more of them for you. I want to apologize today in advance for any audio discrepancies. All of us on the podcast here are quarantined at home, just like you. Today, we're discussing how quarantine life is rapidly rewriting the retail landscape. First, I'd like to introduce Kevin Swanwick, Senior Store Commerce Product Leader at Manhattan Associates. Glad you could join us today, Kevin. Good afternoon, Chris. Happy to be here. And today we have a special guest, Brian Kilcourse, an analyst with RSR Research and a former CIO for Long's Drug Stores, and a frequent contributor to publications like the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and CIO Magazine. Welcome, Brian. Good to hear you, Chris. Brian, I think the last time we were together was at the National Retail Federation's Big Show Conference in New York just this past January at the Javits Center, which incidentally is now a field hospital for COVID-19 patients. Things sure have dramatically changed in the last few months for retailers, haven't they? It's been amazing, really. I mean, um, I don't mean to put a too positive a spin on it, but it um, because it isn't a positive thing. But a lot of the things that have been percolating up in the retail industry have now been pushed right to the forefront, um, and it's because of the COVID pandemic. Consumers are now, to a greater extent than ever before. Uh, using some of the capabilities that retailers have been developing solely over the last decade, having to do with omni-channel shopping, omni-channel fulfillment, and of course, on the other side, all the implications that those two things create on the supply chain side. So all of these things have been, been pushed all the way to the front. Yesterday, I was talking with somebody and he used a great analogy. He said, these are like rocks in a river, these problems that have been uh, coming forward and the water, when the water's low, you can see the rocks in the river. That doesn't mean they weren't there before, but now we can see them and we need to address them. Sure. I think all of the limitations that we have as organizations become exacerbated when we see a disruption of this level. Kevin, the shelter-in-place orders, the limitations on large groups, and the shutdown of non-essential commerce has significantly changed the way retailers are selling and fulfilling orders compared to just a few weeks ago. What are some of the biggest challenges that the retailers you talk to are facing right now when it comes to adapting? Yeah, this is uh, this is a great uh, uh, question, Chris. And uh, we're seeing some interesting things out there. And uh, I love the uh, the rocks in the stream analogy because uh, you know what's becoming pretty clear is uh, folks who had their inventories optimized well and ability to access them um, are in better shape than those folks who haven't. So specifically, I mean, the, the history of this, right, has been that optimized inventories have been built around this idea of just-in-time deliveries, you know, to improve margins. And it has had significant improvement on margins and efficiency, right? And it makes perfect sense in a smoothly running world and, you know, smoothly running supply chain. Obviously, you know, that's no longer the case and in a, in a dramatic and sudden way. So for retailers who've done a good job optimizing the inventories, what we're seeing is that the store inventories become a critical source of that on-demand supply. Uh, not that it wasn't before, but now it's really available. Because remember, 
uh, particularly in fashion industry, which is one, you know, I pay close attention to, uh, folks are sitting on the highest inventories they've had, you know, all year, uh, fresh inventory and this sudden drop in demand. So COVID-19 hits and those who have good control of those store inventories and access to that inventory for fulfillment, you know, they've got a head start. So we're seeing two scenarios right now. The first is where a store is not open to the public, but can operate as a dark site with one, maybe two people following protective guidelines, uh, you know, fulfilling ship orders from those locations as a dark site, you know, uh, with one or two people. The second is where a local ordinance is allowing for curbside pickup, right? And these retail locations are accessible at least by car. So if you're an indoor mall or inside of an indoor mall and that mall's closed, you're pretty much out of luck. But other locations that uh, are open or at least for employees that, you know, can access a parking lot, uh, the front area of the store, um, we're seeing, you know, the curbside pickup uh, approach really take off. But that's only for folks that have the capability to do it. So that approach seems to be keeping sales going. Uh, although they're not where they, you know, they're dramatically below where they should be, but it's keeping them going. It's helping to reduce and balance some of those fat inventories. And, and it looks like it's helping to keep that shop local experience alive. And I think that's going to pay some dividends when this crisis is over for those retailers who've, you know, uh, been able to do that versus those who are totally lights out. And we might see some lasting effect from that, you know, I mean, it's hard to tell, but when this is over, like how will some of these behaviors remain after the fact. I think it's going to be interesting to see that. Okay, Brian, along those lines, as a former pharmaceutical CIO, I'm sure you can appreciate the kind of agility that Kevin is talking about organizationally and what is being asked of the technology teams and the operations teams for essential businesses like grocery and pharma. What is the most difficult thing right now for those IT organizations and commerce systems that may not have been designed for this level of volatility? Boy, that's a great question. And there are many levels on which to attack this, but I would say the most immediate thing that they're noticing is that their systems, the, for, for example, a digital front end to a legacy portfolio, clearly weren't built for the kind of volumes they're now getting. So you're seeing all kinds of delays. In my local grocer, for example, there's a several day delay between the time you order something online, the time they can commit to have it ready for you to pick up at curbside. So there's a, in the normal course of events, that would never be acceptable. Um, and, and it's part of, of two issues. First of all, the online system itself is strained. And secondarily, the legacy systems that it's front ending, even if it's the most modern e-commerce uh, system on the planet, those are still uh, sometimes dating back many, many years. The, the fundamental underlying issue and Kevin kind of alluded to it, uh, is, is visibility, is enterprise-wide visibility of available to sell inventory. And although a lot of retailers have been working at this for some time for a very good reason, um, it's by no means universal across the industry. And so creating that kind of visibility so that consumers can see the inventory and it can be committed to sell and it can be available to store fulfillment people or whatever fulfillment process you want um, that's a huge challenge. Right behind that, of course, is 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 uh, enterprise-wide visibility into the customer path to purchase, because now the customer is dealing with the retailer as an enterprise, not as a collection of stores, for example, and wants to be able to be serviced no matter who picks up the telephone on the other side. So this visibility into the customer path to purchase is really, really important. 
the, the challenge for most retailers is that their systems, the portfolio stack of systems that, that they put into place assumed that demand began in the store and fulfillment happened in the store. And that's what drove the entire portfolio up until arguably 10 years ago. So those systems are still in place. They're still trying to do work and they've been modified um, to suit the new environment, but never in the volumes that we're, we're experiencing right now during the COVID crisis. And that's probably uh, given the CIOs fits when we're probably keeping them up late at night. Now, again, there is good news behind this. And the good news from my perspective is that all of these things have been percolating for some time. We've been working towards the eventuality where the enterprise would be integrated, where the supply chain, instead of being a traditional one-to-end type of a supply chain, would be an end-to-end uh, type of a supply chain design. All of these things we've, we've been working toward. And if we needed another warning, we just got it. <laughs> it's a big one. And so, um, I, you know, retailers are smart and they know they need to respond to this and they know that the consumer behaviors that we're seeing now are probably not going to go away. And so we need to make the adjustments and uh, there is no time like today to get started on that. Yeah, we have a saying around here, you can't sell what you can't see. And it certainly seems to be more appropriate than ever. Absolutely. Now, we've seen numerous non-essential retailers have an uptick in online orders. But overall, we also know non-essential demand is down right now. Last week, Mary Dillon, the CEO of Ulta Beauty, uh, who also is the chair for the Retail Industry Leaders Association, reminded us that still 80 to 85% of consumer purchases occur in the stores, most of which are now closed. We're seeing an amazing amount of agility around this. Uh, recently, one of our retail partners based in Texas, who is considered non-essential and had to close all their stores, also had their DC shut down by the local municipality due to a mandate limiting large gatherings. So we were able to kind of partner with them and work with them to switch them entirely over to store-based fulfillment from their now dark storefronts, as Kevin alluded to earlier, in about six days so they could do that with limited personnel. It's just one of the examples of the heroics we're seeing people go through in the industry. But that kind of adaptation is really difficult, as both of you have alluded to earlier, especially if a retailer doesn't have a commerce system that was designed for that level of adaptation. Brian, of the retailers you've been working with and talking to in the last few weeks, what is their most urgent focus right now? Is it the inventory visibility? Well, it's so fundamental. Um... I don't want to say that every retailer is dealing with that. We've been studying this for years and we've been tracking the progress that retailers have made, but still something slightly less than half of retailers still cannot say with any assurity that they have real time and accurate visibility into their inventory. So it's still a huge chunk of the industry. It's an underlying factor, however, and retailers have been dealing with this for a long time. So there's plenty of ways to essentially fake out the e-commerce system. We all know what those routines are, right? Uh, for example, if you think you have 10 in, uh, available to sell, you just tell the consumer we're out of stock because you're not absolutely sure. Or you can over-inventory. Now, those days are gone. The retailers don't do that, at least not purposefully. And the third one is you can risk disappointing the customer, which still happens a surprising amount of the time. I think right now the the issues they're dealing with is they're, uh, the retailers are tr really trying to respond in real time to the new demand or the new volume of demand for um, new types of fulfillment. 
And BOPUS, of course, has become very, very popular in the grocery world. Even though it was just a year ago, there was still some debate as to how really effective that was going to be. And now it's, it's a standard. The retailers know that they need to do that. So they're just coping. They're going to have to deal with some more fundamental issues. Aside from the inventory visibility um, and the customer path to purchase visibility, the order visibility, there are also re uh, retailers, I'm thinking of grocers here in particular, they're going to have to rethink their labor pool. Um, there was a, a Department of um, a Labor statistic a couple of years ago that said that about 45% of, of uh, fast-moving consumer goods employees were frontline employees, were cashiers. In this new world where consumers are, are, are um, uh, transacting digitally, but they still intend to go to the store to pick up their order, what is, what's the right labor pool for that? What are, what are the training requirements? What are the technology requirements? All those kinds of things. Um, those are things that are going to have to be dealt with long term. Right now, my sense is from talking to the retailers we talk to, they're just coping. They're they're doing it's the whatever it takes mode of, of operation. They're not too worried at this point about um, the profitability of a sale. They're worried about getting the sale. They're, so they're very top line oriented. Okay, so retailers right now are just trying to get through the day. They're just coping. But let's jump forward. Let's pretend we're at next year's NRF conference. Brian, what do you expect the retail landscape to look like then? And what will be the at the top of mind for those retailers? to ensure they're prepared for the next major disruption? Good question. It's, again, it's a huge answer. The, the short version is that I think there will be an acceptance uh, of, of the fact that the store is nodal to a selling environment. It's not, the, it's not ground zero for selling. It's just one aspect of selling. And the talk will all, all, all be about this integrated enterprise-wide selling environment that allows a customer to touch the retailer's brand any way that he or she wants and to get fulfillment in a number of ways. Profitable fulfillment will be a real deal. I'm certain that the supply chain implications of this will be front and center for retailers a year from now um, because there are significant uh, implications. And I think, Chris, you might have mentioned in the beginning, or maybe it was Kevin talking about uh, just-in-time uh, inventory. The retailers are, are balancing the need to have as few days of supply in the chain as possible so that they can adjust in, as necessary with the other scenario, which is that supply is unavailable. We've seen this in the toilet paper industry, for example. You know, all joking aside, the problem with that particular supply chain is it's, it's pretty close to optimized for a constant flow of goods uh, that is tied very directly to the size of the population. It had not accounted for uh, um, uh, a consumer panic, so they they're having a very difficult time to adjust. So this is a this is a particular supply chain. There are very few days of supply in inventory, but they're not very agile, so they couldn't they couldn't gear it up quickly to to deal with uh, unusual demand. Retailers have to balance those two things. And that's a supply chain issue, and that's going to mean a, a different supply chain design than the one that they that many of them have now. Okay, Kevin, same question to you. What do you expect retailers will want to be focused on when the pandemic is passed to ensure they're flexible and adaptable enough for whatever comes next their way? Right. So, you know, in addition to the things Brian just mentioned with regard to supply chain, which is like, you know, table stakes, fundamental um, 
and 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 must be dealt with. I mean, assuming they they can survive um, and get through this, um, some of the delivery options that we talked about in terms of you know different uh, consumer behavior, which are driven by necessity today, I think. Um, folks who are not able to do that or to do that in a very effective way are going to want to get there um, because there may be some lasting uh, effects of this type of shopping model. Um, and uh, if something reemerges in, in the future like this, um, we hope to think it won't, but you're going to want to be able to, to go to market that way. But the other side of this is how folks are going to engage with their, and I'll call them, you know, pre-COVID-19 customer base. Because these folks that aren't engaging with you have been sitting around and doing other things, thinking about other things. Life priorities have changed. How are you going to communicate with them to attract them and to stay relevant? So, you know, loyalty programs, a lot of the loyalty programs that are out there that are very linear, very long in the tooth, you know, the old points programs that are dragging liability along or promotions programs that uh, really are uh, not really effective in terms of demand, but more in, you know, driving the price down and lowering margins. Those things just don't appear like they're going to work at all. So the customer engagement uh, mechanism that brands are, are going to need to use is going to have to be much more sophisticated. And a lot of companies have gotten on board with uh, embedding social into their model, but it's going to have to get much, much deeper. I mean, um, I think we can all observe, you know, how active the, the social media, you know, area is right now during the epidemic. I mean, that, that, you know, users are there. That's where a lot of their experience is coming from. That's where their eyeballs are. And I think that uh, these brands are going to have to figure out how to, how to communicate and engage and to convert that into, uh, you know, points of interest and ultimately, you know, purchases and, uh, an engagement and then subsequent loyalty to to hang on to the customers because you've got the epidemic and you've got temporary behaviors and then you've got effects that are going to be lasting and while this is all going on you've got this Gen Y uh, you know generation coming through that's outstripped us baby boomers you know and their behavior is different and we've seen it coming but it's like now you got to really hurry up so I think customer engagement is going to be absolutely critical to to get folks back in your pipeline. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode, but I want to thank both of you for taking the time to join us today. And Brian, hopefully we'll be able to visit with you again in person at another conference sooner rather than later. That would be very enjoyable. Look forward to seeing you too. Likewise. Thank you, gentlemen. 